0: Welcome to Unfolding Words, the weekly podcast dedicated to sharing biblical truth that offers life for your walk and life for your soul. I'm your host, and Tracy Amorings. I'm so glad you've joined me today. This episode marks the start of a series called Grow Up. What role does the knowledge of good and evil have in your spiritual growth? We'll find out about that next. Stick around. This episode is going to launch a series called Grow Up, and today we're going to focus on the knowledge of good and evil. Most people think that the number of years that you've walked with the Lord is equal to the amount of maturity that you have, but that is not always the case. Maturity is marked by being able to distinguish good from evil. Think of small children. As infants, they don't know good from bad. But it doesn't take them very long to figure it out. Even a small baby who starts crawling knows what his mother wants him touching and what's off limits. Even if he doesn't have the self-control yet, he has the knowledge of what's good and what's bad. We know that children are maturing not just by their physical developments, but how well they're able to navigate the outside world. Especially when it comes to the knowledge of good and evil. So, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about the knowledge of the good and evil. And we go back to the book of Genesis where this is mentioned first. And we know that it talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And I'm reading out of the ESV version. It says, The Lord took the man. And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But if we look back in chapter 1, we know that God gave Adam and Eve every tree to eat from. It says in verse 1, verses 29 and 30, And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. So what gives? Why this prohibition against eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when clearly it says that every tree was given by God? Is God an Indian giver? No, the answer lies in our maturity levels. If we look at both chapters in light of each other, we can see that eventually Adam would eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or we can infer that this was God's plan. It seems that first Adam and Eve would have to acknowledge God's kingship by staying away from this tree. But then as they mature, they were to be princes and princesses under God's kingship. That was his plan for all of mankind. But Adam was kept away because he sinned. And show that he was not ready for that tree. Adam was expected to grow up into his dominion that was granted to him in chapter one. So let's look at chapter one, verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The Bible teaches that spiritual spiritual maturity or wisdom results from a process of growth. This growth is a precondition for dominion along the way. This is obvious to us if we think of children. We expect our children to grow and become mature and wise as they get older. But we would never think to burden them with adult responsibilities before their time. Like we would never give a four-year-old keys and expect them to drive. That's just too much responsibility. That's beyond their capacity. So for us to burden a child with adult responsibilities would crush them. And for a child to presume to take such adult responsibilities on himself would be arrogant and destructive. And so God treats us the exact same way. When we're young in him, he doesn't burden us with responsibilities that are beyond our capacity to understand and to take on. We don't wish to be ruled by children. As parents, we don't expect our children to tell us what to do and what's good and what's bad. And it's the same thing with God. He grows us up before we're saddled with adult responsibilities. The last verse of Genesis 2 paints a wonderful picture of the state of maturity of Adam and Eve. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. So when you think of newborn babies, what do you think? They come into the world naked and not ashamed, and even well into toddlerhood. Children can be run around the house naked and not be ashamed. That's just the nature of children. And so it doesn't mean that Adam and Eve and all of mankind were expected to be naked throughout their lives because that's how they were created in the garden. It's simply a picture for us of where they were at um, maturity wise. It's, it's one of the symbols that God gives us. It's um, a picture for us. Adam and Eve were naked. Because they were like newborn babies. So think of um, being clothed. So God is clothed. Why would He keep His children naked? We can look at the scriptures and see that God is clothed in a garb of light, which is called His glory. We see this in Psalm 93 and 1. It says, The Lord reigns, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Psalm 104 and one says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And one more example, Psalm 104 and two. Speaking of God, covering yourself with light as with the cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent. So God is clothed. So eventually, as mankind grew mature under his kingship, they would be clothed as well. So this glory cloud that God is clothed in because he's not a man, he's a spirit. So he's clothed in something other than physical clothing like we wear. It represents the garment of regal, and a priestly office. So man, as God's image, should also have robes. This robe of office, however, is not something man is born with, but is something he must mature into by acquiring wisdom based on righteousness. And take note that this robe of office is for elders and not for children, Moreover, it is never taken by God's children, it is always given by him. So if we read in the Bible, we have many examples of this, how authority is always equated with the dressing of a robe. An example is how Joseph, who was considered godly on all accounts, is clothed three separate times with a robe of office or authority, once by his father, with the multicolored robe that was taken by his brothers when they threw him in the ditch, once by Potiphar, who exalted him um, into a position of authority when he was in Egypt, and another by Pharaoh. And we see this in the book of Genesis, and I'll have the scriptures linked in the show notes. And you can also notice that when Joseph's robe was stripped from him by Potiphar's wife, it signified his loss of position and authority. And there's also many verses dedicated to the robe of Aaron, the high priest, because he was a representative of man for all of Israel. We see this in Exodus chapter 28 and 39. And then think about how when Jesus was stripped at his crucifixion, the soldiers cast lots for Jesus's robe of office, which symbolized the powers of the world contesting for dominion over God's creation. And we see this in John chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. The examples are plentiful, and you can go through and do a word search on robes and understand how this was an example of authority given by God. So clearly, Adam and Eve were not going to remain naked forever. Being clothed with robes of authority would come in time and with maturity. And in connection with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the serpent told Adam and Eve that in the day that you eat from it, it being the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is in Genesis three and five. And sure enough, when they ate, the eyes of both of them were opened. And God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil then communicated three spiritual qualities that their eyes were open, that they were like God and that they had the knowledge of good and evil. And these three things all have to do with a judicial authority that is linked to God. The tree of knowledge was directly tied to man's growing dominion over the earth. But Adam and Eve had to grow up the hard way with this knowledge outside the safe confines of the garden and in sin because they seized the fruit before they were mature enough to handle it. So God intended for them to grow up and to have this fruit, but in his time. But the scriptures give clear examples of what the the knowledge of good and evil looked like when someone was mature in God. God pronounced things good in Genesis 1. Thus, for man to get knowledge of good and evil would mean that man has the privilege of making judicial pronouncements like God. And the rest of the scripture confirms this. We see an example of Solomon who had godly authority given to him, and he prayed to be given an understanding heart to judge. First Kings three and nine says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. That I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people. Notice that Solomon didn't assume that he already possessed this knowledge of good and evil. God grants his request, and immediately we see Solomon exercise a godlike judgment in the story of the two har- harlots in first Kings three nine verse twenty-eight. We also see this in the life of his father David. Look at what the wise woman said to David in second Samuel fourteen seventeen For as the angel of God, so is my Lord the king to discern good and evil. in other words, man's judicial authority is a copy, it's an image of God's. The angel of God has wisdom to know all that is in the earth. verse twenty, and this knowing entails seeing it's, the verse says, my Lord. The King is like the Angel of God, therefore do what is good in your sight. So infants don't have this wisdom to know good and evil in this godly authority way. and the scripture also lets us know that frequently the age loses capa- capacity due to senility, and we see this in second Samuel nineteen and thirty five So young children don't possess this because they don't have the maturity level to possess this. And we know this from Deuteronomy 1 and 39. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in and there, go in and there, and to them I will give it and they shall possess it. And after going through the wilderness, the children of Israel should have grown up to the point of being able to make right choices and to be able to discern between good and evil. But we see, sadly, that they didn't. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 and 16 say, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, By loving the Lord, your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord, your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Being able to rightly discern good and evil is directly tied to the level of maturity that you had that you have. Oswald Chambers said spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years but by obedience to the will of God. Some people mature into an understanding of God's will more quickly than others because they obey more readily. They, are, they more readily sacrifice the life of nature to the will of God. So someone can be young in salvation years, but mature in Christ because of their willingness to obey. So if you're trained correctly in the ways of God, you can reach maturity in Christ faster than others. Hebrews 5 and 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The word discern in verse in this verse can be translated approve or examine. It is used of someone who is testing metals or coins to determine their purity or genuineness. In Luke chapter 12, verse 56, it's translated to interpret or to analyze. Look at what it says. It says, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because they could not discern the we- because they could discern the weather by looking at the signs, but they couldn't determine the present time with the Messiah standing there right in front of them. Their discernment of the knowledge of good and evil was off because they weren't mature enough and they didn't have the obedience that was needed. And Paul emphasized this discernment because of the false teaching that was happening in the church. Many of the Christians were calling new believers to go back to circumcision and the law when they had been called to forsake that. And so there was division happening. And the Philippians needed a wise love to know how to handle these situations. They needed discernment, which is a sign of spiritual maturity. Ephesians 4.13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This growing up that we do in Christ is going to be for the rest of our lives because we'll never fully come into the fullness of Christ while we're here on this earth. But that is how we are to live our lives is to be constantly growing and maturing up into the fullness of Christ. So this is going to be a continual mark of our lives. Paul David Tripp, a writer says, maturity is not merely something you do with your mind. No, maturity is about how you live your life. It is possible to be theologically astute and yet very immature. It is possible to be biblically literate and in need of significant spiritual growth. So if we want to grow up in God, we have to understand that we we need discernment When it comes to the knowledge of good and evil, and this is a good and evil that is determined by God. We don't determine what is good and evil. God has determined what is good and evil and it's outlined in the scriptures. So if we follow the scriptures, take hold of what he says is what's good and evil, train ourselves in how to discern the difference between the two, then we'll quickly mature. So our lives show our marks of maturity, just like growth is ticked out on a growth chart, Maybe some of your parents may have had you stand against the wall and every year they would mark out how much you've grown. That's the same way that our growth is seen spiritually in God. We can see our growth tracked by how we adhere to his word and it's seen through the decisions we make when we discern between God's good and God's bad. So that's all for today in our first series, the series Grow Up, and we're going to be talking more about maturity in Christ next week. So I hope that you'll join me. You've been listening to Unfolding Words, and you can connect with me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram under Unfolding Words, and I'd love for you to share this episode if you enjoyed it. So join me next week as we talk more about growing up in Christ. God bless you.